Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a Photog adventure of your own. It's episode 84 and today on the Photog Adventures podcast, we are back in Oregon and joined in the home of Kirk Kais. Hey, Kirk. Hey, Kirk. Hi, guys. We've been up here in Oregon and having a fun time going down to Bandon, doing Thor's Well, going to Crater Lake, and had a lot of awesome photography. We were doing the 23 days of Milky Way photography. We already had plans to be out here, and so we went and hung, went and hung out with Kirk, and it's been a freaking blast. And it's hard to do a podcast on the last day when we're freaking tired. Oh, yeah. We've had very little sleep the entire trip, and uh, I don't know how you felt about sleep deprivation, but it really rocks me when I don't get enough sleep. Um, I thought I got way more sleep this year than last year. You know, staying up doing time lapses all night, I was getting like an hour or three hours of sleep (laughs) and maybe an hour in the afternoon. And I, what, the worst day this time was four hours and the best was seven? Because you didn't do day-to-night time lapses Because I didn't do any day-to-night time lapses. (laughs) That really helps, I think. Yeah, I think that's... um, Probably got lots of sleep. I, I was lucky if I got three hours each night. I just had a hard time. Brendan and I had to fly out here so we didn't bring any gear we wanted to borrow some sleeping bags from kirk but then we needed something better and we thought maybe we'd check out fred meyer and we scored at fred meyer true yeah having a having a blow-up mattress for what about 23 dollars total that's after the the pump after the, we had buying to buy. the pump yeah so if you guys are out on a road bad. trip fred meyer or walmart just quick mattresses and pumps if you have a vehicle like this yukon we rented that right. has an ac adapter right there where you can plug in and power the pump oh yeah it was fantastic. Every night we'd set it out. We'd clear out all of our gear, put it in the front front uh, seats and up on the roof, and then fill up the backspace with a bed. And I think it was fantastic. It's just we had no room to sit up and enjoy. It was kind of this cl- this drawer yeah. we climbed into, and we did acrobatic maneuvers to get was... our feet out the door again to put our shoes on before we stepped down. I would say the... maybe three and a half feet. I don't think it was quite even even four feet. You mean height from the from the bottom of the from the top of the bed to the, to the oh, roof? Definitely to the ceiling? not. Yeah. yeah, three feet maybe might be exaggerating it. Yeah, because I was laying on my back and I felt like if I tipped my head up, I'd still hit my head. And I'm a short guy. Right, right. So huh. it was much more comfortable sleep than I would have expected. But also, like all Milky Way trips, when they start at four or five a.m. and you sleep until the sun's beating down on you, it's not a comfortable sleep. It's not a yeah. happy sleep. And the first place we stayed at actually rained that morning. And so oh, the camping the chairs got wet. But luckily, only like a couple of like insignificant boxes, like a soda box. And the camping chairs really got wet. Right. And those dried out in the next campsite just fine. So, you know, that worked out. If that's That was like the worst thing that happened weather-wise for us. Yeah, fantastic. We gotta t- we'll talk about that because mm-hmm. that was a freaking was awesome nice. blessing to have amazing weather. So we're going to go through Band and Thorswell, Crater Lake, and have a blast out in these areas sharing the stories with Kirk. So let's just go through as fast as we can because we don't want to waste our chance. We're leaving on a flight here in a couple hours. We have a little bit of open, op- open opportunity to talk. So let's begin with arriving. Well, no, let's not arrive in Bannon. Let's just get right there to the sunset. How did you guys' sunsets go? Go ahead, Kurt. 
um, at Bandon. Um, yeah. It was a little windy, just like last year, but... Uh, well, photography-wise, you know, what was your shot like? My shot? Which shot? Yeah. I, I started... Pick your favorite. Only tell me about your favorites oh, this podcast. Favorite. Yeah, your favorite um, one from that night, if anything could even qualify. Okay, well, I started just below uh, Lord Bennett's restaurant down on the beach uh, and uh, took pictures with everyone else at the first rocks you run into. There's and, always so many people and there. And as the... Uh, I noticed there was a big uh, contrail right off the coast, and I'm not really into contrails in my uh, sunset pictures, so right. I started looking for something more to the south, and I just kept walking south around the uh, end of the cape there and down into the uh, other uh, south part of the beach and uh, kind of went back to the same spot we went last year that had the uh, wizard's hat and the other rock to the side and then a little rock in the foreground. and worked on that as the tide was coming in and out and washing over the rocks and uh, trying to knock over the tripod and <laughs> what you, you know. end up doing just not just a golden hour light no exact color yeah, I was in the blue hour by that point and, but the mm. the sky still had a little bit of uh, pink since it was aiming towards the southwest okay what'd you get Brendan yeah there's what there was like zero clouds in the sky either so we were setting up for a really great Milky Way night which right. was fantastic but for sunset you know it's kind of cool to have um, a lot of uh, blue space above your image if you're going to use it for marketing. But if you're using it for your personal compositions and stuff, you try to minimize that, right? So I really try to focus on the rocks and the two two thirds, lower two thirds of the image and just having a, maybe a third of the image in the sky. But the colors are great and the waves are fun. And I really just tried to focus on the waves coming in and getting that reflection using the wave lines as leading lines to the rock. And so I really just kind of moved around a little bit and, and tried to find out where the waves were coming and try to time it just right so I can get the, the, the really good divide of the shiny water versus the not shiny sand and having that have hmm, create a yeah. leading line. Kind of getting the contrast between yeah. those two. Between the textures, really. There's How did you similar balance colors, but. symmetry or off to a third? Um, I haven't had a chance to really review my images, but from what I, what I remember is uh, I really just tried to... Not, it was uh, asymmetrical, usually. It was kind of coming from the left, usually up into the, you know, left of the frame, up to the middle, and just trying to create some leading lines with the, with the waves. It can be at its own challenge, for sure. Yeah, that, that is, the thing about Bandon, guys, if you're out there for Milky Way photography and you're having great skies for that night, it's not a bust to do the sunset. It's no, still no. a lot of fun, and it's yeah. beautiful silhouettes of sea stacks against this orange gradient mm -hmm. to night sky. But still, I mean, yeah, you don't have any clouds. It's not the best scenario. No, not the best for sunset, but, beautiful but still fun. Beautiful and fun, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went out there. The whole decision of weight in the airplane, you don't want to bring too much in your one bag. I don't want to bring everything. So I had to give up a lens in order to come out here with my Milky Way photography lenses and the podcasting gear. Right. And so I had to leave the Tamron 15 to 30 at home. I've been only using the 24 millimeter Rokinon for all the Milky Way stuff that I'm doing. And so it was okay that I didn't have that one for night. But for a sunset, I had a 50 millimeter on me because I knew that was tiny, that nifty 50 that mm, you loaned yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. And having the 24 millimeter roking on that soft. And so I just had fun with the 50 and I spent time recording you guys, taking mm. pictures of you guys with the light on your face. And Brendan in one picture is hugging his camera like he found his lost girlfriend. Do you remember even doing that shot? Yeah, I do. <laughs> So I'm going to blame that on sleep de deprivation. Sleep deprivation? That was the first day. We just barely arrived. <laughs> you can't blame it on sleep deprivation. We had arrived that day. Travel sickness. <laughs> <laughs> so 
we were out there with Claudia Halpert. We had Kurt Kies, myself, and Brendan, and we're enjoying the sunset as much as we can, just loving the fact that we're out here and beginning the adventure of these next locations. And Milky Way. Milky Way the first night. That was nice. Oh, yeah. You want to start off with that one, Kirk? Kirk, you had the best shots there, probably, so let us know all yours You think? Yeah, I think so. I only had a time lapse running, which is awesome, but uh, I didn't have one single shot that I could say, this is it. I This is why I love this one went well. So how'd yours go? Um, I think, well, I uh, did a time lapse as well. I set up a uh, Sony uh, A6300 back by the cliffs and uh, had that aiming out where we were going to be and with the rocks and uh, the Milky Way kind of time lapse its way from off the frame into about a third of the frame in the I think we were out there for two hours so hopefully that uh, will be interesting with us moving around and lights and stuff uh, going back yeah. and forth right so and then also uh, this is my first trip out to Bandon with a Sony a7 Mark III that I just got so that was new and fun to play with and I also since I figured we would probably be going to just about the same spot as last year. I mean, there's a difference because the tide's always a little different, so you can't get closer to the rocks sometimes as you do at other times. Yeah, we were much closer last time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I figured there'd be a little difference in angle based on the tide, but uh, I also brought a old Tiffin, uh, it's called a color-enhancing filter, which is like some of the uh, clear sky light pollution reduction filters that people are selling now. It's like that. It's color enhancing, yeah. and it also drops off some of the sodium halide lights. Or? Right. It's a huh. it's didymium glass, oh, and yeah. it cuts out all the sodium vapor light frequencies. It's the same glass that glass blowers use for working with uh, glass and the torch. You get just a huge flame of yellow light coming off of the glass as you're glass blowing. And so they wear this this special kind of glasses to oh. get rid of that color, and that's the same thing that people are using in these uh, um, clear sky type filters. And uh, the color enhancing one is probably a stronger effect than some of the other ones that I've seen online, but I thought I'd try it anyway. So I did a set of uh, shots with and without, and it looks noticeably different on the back of the camera, but I haven't had a chance to really work it up to see which right. one I like better because I really did kind of like the glow of the city lights back behind the stacks that we had last year because we had more haze last year mm-hmm. off in the distance and so it kind of made this ethereal glow over the lights that looked yeah. really cool. This year the air was a little clearer mm-hmm. and we didn't really have that glow off in the distance so the lights are going to be more pinpoint light They're not going to spread out because the orange yeah. transitioning into the night sky bluish purple was really neat about the abandoned shot last year and so we didn't get that. Yeah and especially the shot that I had with that um, orange light was almost fanning out over this rock and it was just oh. like incredible. Yeah it was uh, effect. You see a yeah. shape even in the light source and you see it. Oh yeah it was definitely creating this. a fan effect from Ooh. yeah from it was just incredible. I started and I, we didn't get lapse. it this year. It's true. We, we didn't, didn't get, get it this year? Yeah. Okay I sorry I overspoke you. I was just I didn't start a time lapse and I didn't look at any of them yet. I I just started talking and left it there so I can help out Claudia and work on other stuff. And so I didn't know that the lights weren't working the way they did last time. That's cool. Yeah, there definitely was cool. more mist and uh, particulates in the air last year, where this year was definitely more clear. But that's actually 
exciting for Milky Way because the air was more clear and we were going to have right. a better, more clear Milky Way. So, so when you're shooting with both, you said you noticeably saw a difference, but uh, would you use those that filter specifically to help you with those kind of lights? Would you use it? Yeah, specifically I'll, I'll for have that? to. I'll have to double check. Uh, you okay. know, process it and get back and uh, give you guys a report on that at some point. All right, awesome. Please do. Now, if you guys remember, we had Kurt Kais announced as one of the new Photog Adventure members. Like Rob Bryan, Kurt Kais, James Kelly, myself, and Brendan are all the members of Photog Adventures as of now. We have an admin Facebook group team that are doing very part-time work, but you guys, Dan. You guys, you're doing fantastic oh, out yeah. there. I only said Dan, but I should go through everybody. Yep, Dan, 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 Brent, Josh, and Daryl. You guys are fantastic. And Dean. Dean yeah. And so you guys are working as a lot more than part-time, I would have to admit, on Facebook. But these guys are all part of Photog Adventures and coming in. But Kirk has taken a step in to help us off a lot more with the site and other elements. And so, Kirk, you'll be able to write something up most likely to review that filter for us on the website and that'd be awesome yeah and i'd like to be able to get a hold of some of the other ones and uh, maybe make some uh, comparisons all the way across them too at some point Ooh, yeah that'd let's awesome. do it yeah. i think everyone would like to see that information mm -hmm. yeah cool awesome you were mentioning you'd like the lights and you were working with the fan was there anything else about your pictures brendan that you well, that was last that year night? the lights fanned out last year where they i don't think they i don't think oh. i noticed them as strongly this year i get it so I'm, I'm curious to see how my images turn out when i get home and and uh so i don't bring a laptop with me so i have to process all my images when i get home from trips like this but uh it's something to look forward to i guess it's a little exciting <laughs> to get home and start working on those right of course and uh i'm still so backlogged from our uh every night for the last four nights before our trip to do Milky Way. And so I've got a lot of processing <laughs> to do. There's a lot of work up coming <laughs> yeah. in from Fantasy Canyon and everything. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. it's incredible. So looking at Band and Milky Way, I would say it was another successful night of going out to a beach with the marine layer and potential clouds and Definitely. getting success again. Yeah. There wasn't some brilliance on our planning side. We just knew this was the week we were coming, and we just kind of crossed our fingers. Mm -hmm. And it turned mm -hmm. out, I would say, I don't know what to tell someone who looks at clear, dark sky and says the beach shows part, part, part cloudy. Is it going to be a problem? Uh, it always showed very clear. It, yeah. Yeah. We really so lucked we out. don't know what it's like at Bandon if it shows partly cloudy. And so I would say if you see this very clear in Bandon and you're in the area, get out there because it's a beautiful sky fort off of the ocean. But we waited until when to get it off the ocean, probably around. One thirty. Yeah, it, it started. Around, yeah, we walked down about one thirty, and then two o'clock is when it's really off of the coastline. Right, so expect right. an early morning, late late night. And that gives you about an hour. Was it an hourish of total Milky Way? Up until time? three o'clock, we had it till Astro Twilight. So I guess yeah, about yeah. an hour and a half yeah. hour. Not a very long period. Mm -mm. So it's worth it though if you're in the oh, area. Yeah. Definitely oh, yeah. worth it. So then being in this situation, if you guys know Oregon coast you get tempted to go places you might not have been planning to go because everything <laughs> seems close. We'll just drive a little hour and a half this way. What is it, Kirk, from uh, Bannon to Thor's Well Yahats? Was it an hour and a half drive? I think it was uh, 90 miles and took us like two and a quarter hours. It took us two and a quarter hours not to get too there. Bad. Yeah. It's beautiful terrain, too, so it doesn't feel oh, that long yeah. of a drive. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, man. So we decided to not spend two nights in Bandon. After we got the first night looking beautiful, we didn't yeah. really need to repeat it. And right. so we wanted to try a new challenge, and we wanted to get a sunset at Thor as well. Oh, yeah. I've been wanting to get a sunset at Thor as well for a long time. Ever, or I mean, ever since last year, we got a sunrise, and I was like, oh, man, I can imagine what a sunset looks like here, you know? So I've been kind of drooling over that idea for the last year. 
So when you guys decided, uh, yeah, we can do that, I'm like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> it wasn't much convincing when Claudia said, I'd love to go see Thor as well, but I wouldn't want to go to it alone. Would you right. guys be interested in coming? We're like, yeah. Yeah, we'll come with you. Sure. <laughs> the convincing was a matter of finishing the sentence, and then we were on board. <laughs> so yeah. with Thor's well, you went out first, Kirk. Getting ready for a sunset and planning your shot at Thor's well, did you do anything different from when we were there for the sunrise? Um, yeah, since, uh, you know, the sky is going to be much brighter than the, uh, the foreground is, mm, yeah. I brought with my, with me a, uh, breakthrough photography, two stop soft transition and degrad filter. Mm. And, uh, so I just popped that on the lens, set it a little bit off of the, the center line and, uh, just went with that and adjusted up and down based on my compositions and, um, I don't know that the camera necessarily needed to have a split density filter, but it certainly made uh, wiping water off the lens a lot easier because <laughs> the glass. filter was right up there against the, the lens <laughs> and it was nice flat surface and I just take my lens wipes after every spray of water out of Thor as well and just, you know, wipe the lens, uh, wipe the filter off really quick and it was ready for the next one. That's an interesting point because Reb was out there and he had to put his hat over the lens yeah. between each shot to yeah. try and keep the spray from building up too much. And I was there last year with the big square filter too and that was so much easier just to quickly dry. I didn't feel like I had to polish, I just had to remove. I didn't have to do any. How did it go? So when you're at Thor's well, so you come down these stairs and you face Thor's well, which you're looking directly west into the ocean, right? There's kind of like, just to describe for the, for the peoples, how, for the uh, peoples. how it looks out there. <laughs> There's almost like this semicircle, right? Like of stones around Thor's well. That's kind of like a step up and then the, and then it drops down and then the well begins. And so you have like this spot where photographers can just line up in like a semicircle. And I think that off to the left is typically more wet than off to the right where I was. I maybe got one drop on my lens the entire time. I never covered it or anything. And I, I looked, I kept looking. I'm like, there's nothing. Every big splash. I'm like, there's nothing on my lens. It's like fantastic. Now, this big splash, though, was a lot less than the biggest splash we had last time. True. Because of the difference in the tide. Yeah, the tide was. The swell. But the tide was slowly coming in, though, right? Yeah, it was slowly tide was getting bigger. In. It was like low tide around six o'clock, and we got out there about. 8.15 or almost 8.30. Sunset was, I think, 9 o'clock mm -hmm. sharp. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, the wind was coming from the northwest, so I was over to the southeast side of the, the well, and so the wind was blowing in my direction. So if you, were, if you were on the north side of the well, you were upstream from uh, mm. most of the splashes. But, I mean, you, occasionally you get splashes from, like, every direction out there just because <laughs> the tide will come over the bench to the side that before far right it actually spot. comes up through the well <laughs> and you'll have this big surge of like a foot and a half or two feet of water just rolling in on top of the basalt plateau that the the well is sitting in and uh it's you just got to watch out all around you to make sure that you're uh, not going to get caught off by a wave yeah. but yeah the wind typically blows from the the northwest there so i guess it makes sense why i was a little bit more protected mm -hmm. yeah that's it's cool. keeping that little bit of spray off of you entirely. Mm -hmm. It doesn't yeah. matter how big those waves were getting or small. Right. It was just... I had like one little dot the whole you time. air dryer I was going. just like, wow, this is perfect. I'll just stay right here. <laughs> <laughs> so just so you guys know, you can't look at it and say, okay, I want to show up at the tide when they show up at the tide. It is going to have different conditions no matter how the swells are coming in, mm. no matter how the tides are. I mean, 
we can't just look at the tide and say every time I show up at that kind of tide or going in or coming out or going in, let's say it for this way, coming into you tide versus going away from you tide, you just really can't plan that to be consistent because you're going to have different swell heights right. and you're going to have different conditions causing the waves and Thor as well to just react differently. Sure, every day. I'm sure it's different every day. And you just got to go and be safe. Just be safe. There are giant waves every once in a while that will just surprise you. And when I was recording these guys, in between my hitting record and filming you guys do it, you guys made the most noise. You know, Cloudy would be like, whoa! You know, and we'd have the best reaction, <laughs> right. and I wasn't recording it. It was so of disappointing. Of course, of course. I didn't want to go for 17 straight minutes of just watching you guys silhouetted against the sunset and just kind of... Every one of you are doing a different thing with your camera. Like, well, I'm bored, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rub off this side. And, and then Reb would go in and he'd put his hat over. Or he'd pull it off and think about something. And he'd put it back. And then the couple on the far left would hug or stand in front of each other or hold hands. And everyone was just kind of waiting for the next wave, exciting thing to happen. And so you're doing all different boring stuff. So I didn't want to keep recording. <sighs> should have known better. As soon as you touch the button, something's going to happen. Right. As soon as you stop. so ridiculous. It happens every time. <laughs> Chaos theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then at Thorswell Sunset, we, I think, experienced the marine layer bust, right? Yeah. Yeah. As usual. As usual. We have gone in November kind of to avoid the marine layer, if you can. And I'd say that we had similar horizons, but that horizon was just full of cloud, full of marine layer yeah. dust. Well, it's not dust. It's uh, just clouds. moisture clouds in the air. Well, yeah. there were lots of clouds that uh, in Thor's well that night, the second night that we were there. It looked there so was, promising. I know there was this window off in the distance that the sunlight was shining through and creating these beautiful light streaks that were nice and orange. Mm-hmm. We're just like, if the sun can just peek through that and give us a burst, it'd be amazing. Yeah. And yeah, no, it didn't. And we always kept looking at the bank of clouds that were higher, thinking that the sun gets underneath that and just golden lights, all of it. It's going to be brilliant. And then that didn't quite happen. The bank was here an hour ago, but then it moves and gets in a weird, stupid position. So classic landscape photography right there. It was a lot of fun watching you guys up there. Um, never felt like you guys were in any, in any dangerous waves. It seemed like this one was very mild. Yeah, it was. It was, it was just a great experience all around. If it was like that, would you consider, see, I would not consider ever doing a Milky Way over, over Thor's well. I just don't think I should. Too dark. Yeah. Too scary for a rogue wave. We just completely not out the of best the question, idea. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah to, to really get the, the water, it's, it seems like a lot of times it's not so much the spray out of the well, but the water rushing back in, you know, the toilet bowl effect that mm. kind of looks cooler in the pictures. Yeah. Um, You've got to have a big wave come in to fill up that that whole little basin with water, and that's going to be some of the bigger waves. And the dangerous you waves. You don't want to be out there in the pitch black when it's like that. You get knocked over, you're going to lose your orientation and <laughs> not know which direction is shore and which one's the ocean, perhaps. And it it would be a bad idea. It'd be a stupid idea, right? Yes. Yeah. So we're thinking so. we're out here. We want to do Milky Way, but. Thor's will would be ridiculously dumb to do, but there's another option there, and we want to talk about that here in a minute after our first break. So we'll come right back, and we'll talk about Milky Way out there at Thor's well area. Okay. Hey guys, welcome back to the Photog Adventure Podcast. On this section, we're going to talk about the rest of our adventure in Thor's Well, what happened that night. Which is really awesome. And then, uh, yeah, I can't wait to share pictures of that because, <laughs> wow, 
So in Thor's Wells area, there's a big stairs that come down a little platform and then there's Cook's Chasm yeah. and the Spouting Horn, right? Am I mm-hmm. naming that right? Yeah. And and those are both just, uh, like what was that, east feet. and south yeah. to uh, Thor's Wells, like by 100 feet or so? Is right it, next to it. Yeah. yeah, they're basically all the same area. And we thought this could be a cool place for Milky Way, right? And so we looked Safe, and we did photo actually. pills and we thought this could work out. So we brought, came back with our light and our cameras. Kirk, what was your experience when you went out there with us to, to shoot that? Uh, it was pretty amazing. I was surprised you guys even thought of doing that because the there's a hillside right there and we kind of had to wait till later in the evening for the Milky the Way to get above the, the, the headlands and... Uh, um, we put the light up high on the uh, walkway. There's there's a set of switchbacks that you take Not down <laughs> to the landing to get out to mm-hmm. Thor's Well, and just right there at the very bottom uh, landing, it it points you towards uh, Cook's Chasm and the Spouting Horn, and uh, so we left the light up on one you of the You recommended it originally, and I thought, no, no, no. There's no way this light will be enough to reach across the chasm and get the spouting horn. I thought right, we could right. light the rocks right here, of course, but that was far. And Brendan and I, I don't think we've experienced lighting anything that, for, far? that far before. Yeah, because our, our, our typical MO is to bring a light panel and bring it down as low as possible. Usually it's lowest setting. Yeah, absolutely. And having it fairly close to a subject to light it just right and uh we never lit something that was 200 feet away really typically Maybe even more i mean, I mean the chasm's big royce bear butte is obviously that far we had to light it and turn it all the way up but that's you one big rock structure you know and True. we're aiming up at this big rock we've never really aimed down at an area before at a so, small thing that's a mist of water yeah yeah and so it was definitely a unique uh, situation well, we originally put the light down next to the uh, the bottom landing, Where pretty we much shooting from, yeah. almost at the level of the uh, spouting horn across the chasm. Yeah, right behind. And it, right it just wasn't enough separation from where we were, and so I was thinking, well, you know, to get modeling light, you need to get a little angle between you, your subject, and up to the back to the light. So I thought, well, there's that switchback right up there. Let's just walk it back up the trail a little bit and leave it there. You're and, completely right. And you cranked it up to full power, and that was just enough power to <laughs> shoot. It, it must have been at least 200 feet across the uh, chasm to the, the spouting horn. And that area has a bridge where the road tra- traverses yeah. along the mountainside, and so you have the bridge being lit up, the chasm rocks in front of us, and the chasm across the way and the hill in the distance. And, so, and from where we were, the light was like about 50 feet above us kind of i mean it was pretty yeah, tall yeah, I, I jacked yeah, that thing up all the way like i jacked that thing up like almost eight feet tall oh on and the it was a stand. good 40 feet but i mean it was a good 40 feet from the <laughs> top of the light to where we were it was 40 50 feet it was awesome yeah that, it's an eight foot light stand that i brought and uh it was worked way out at the top yeah it worked out great. the only thing i'd recommend if you guys have a light stand is make sure you have some sort of articulating arm that you're attaching between the light stand and an f and v filter or f and v light stand my F&V light has just a flat bottom, 
and you connect it to. But if you buy one of the newer ones that are $30, they actually come with an articulating joint, yeah, and then so you can it angle it. Up and down, yeah. You want that movement, because you're doing the fall-off is something you want to get, and Brendan kept trying to just use the shirt, the like, grasses right there to angle the light stand, but then we can never get it to stand still. Yeah, it was probably going to tip over. So point, if there's so. anything that what didn't go well is make sure you have that articulating arm just so you can really have full control over the light, but it didn't ruin the shot. And no. I didn't realize you were doing that because I had one of those uh, yeah. joints in my backpack. Uh, oh, right of course you did. You have little ball head. I've got yes. little ball heads that fit that. <laughs> you were down there with you. Typical even. for it not. Was, that's what we get for not asking. Backpack, yeah. <laughs> you know my 70 liter backpack. It's. There's I just figured you were training for the military. That's why you carry that giant bear of a bag. Uh-huh. But there's stuff in it. Yeah, we should yeah. have thought about that. <laughs> so out here at the spouting horn, you guys have this timing of watching waves come up the chasm like you would in a wave pool at a water park. And you're thinking, okay, here's the one that's going to make the spouting horn happen. Because in the crags of the rocks, they just curve just right and they blast out. Mm. And there'd be a really, really big wave that come very, very fast through and nothing would happen. And then another one would come through, and it looked like it missed it, and then suddenly a huge spout would happen. You're never quite certain what caused it, but you did know to stand guard and ready when you saw the waves coming in, obviously. It only happened yeah. when they came in. It definitely does depend on volume. Obviously, low tide, you're not going to get any spouting action at all. But We experienced that at the very end. It was like we knew right. it was time to go. It died out. It just completely died out as the tide was leaving, and... Uh, so yeah, it's uh, really interesting. You got to time it just right, I think, for the spouting horn. It's probably going off really good twice a day, depending on the volume, right? Sure. Yeah, and and even though the waves coming in looked huge, they just weren't at the right level to get the water into the bottom of the yeah. spouting horn that it sprayed back up. So yeah, after a certain point, when you don't see any more spouts for you know five minutes, it's definitely time to call it quits. Yep. Yeah. So how you're tackling this shot? I'll go through that real quick, and you guys can comment on yours. Mm-hmm. I made sure that I captured the Milky Way first thing before we got the light set up. And then I wanted to do it with the light and then waited to turn off the light again so that we can get it without the lights in the way. Just capture your Milky Way frame because that wall of hill on the side there is easily masked out and you can get it just nice and clear and capture for that because your settings for the Milky Way you will not use on the spout. Mm. You have this water action you're trying to capture And if you go any longer than a few seconds, you're going to get just either a fuzzy, soft cloud of water or nothing at all. It looked like a little spotlight coming out of the the ground. Yeah, Yeah, like a weak spotlight Mm -hmm. instead of what was actually a cool burst of water vapor or... Was it vapor or splashy thin water? Yeah, it's just a splash. I mean, really technically, yeah. A blowhole of a whale, you know? A really cool splash splash of water and you want to capture that in action so i went from doing milky photography to all of a sudden i'm doing action photography on high continuous mode and i have my iso jacked really high so that i can make sure i can get as short of a shot as possible short of the shutter as possible to capture it so i'm seeing detail in the waves crashing underneath the spout as the spout goes off but i would love to try it a couple more times to see what the the perfect spout shot is because while I like the waves, sometimes it seems like I didn't get enough of the spout action. It was kind of small, and maybe it had a bigger spout, but my shot cut off too early. Mm. Or I would go too long, and then it would blend into the background and be kind of a weak mist that I'd have to really burn or really dodge to bring it out. Right, yeah. Now that's what I noticed just from the back of the camera is that it just looked like, I mean, I did like 
10 or 15 second exposures. And at that length, you really, even at eight seconds or four seconds, I mean, it still ended up just looking like a continuous stream of light because it was being lit by the light and just that white versus the black contrast rocks. It was hard to define what it really was. Now we're being, we got to be careful in talking about this cool location because probably eight times out of 10, it's very unsafe to do during the Milky Way time. Let's just be clear that we don't know how dangerous it can get right there. We just know that the whole place was shaped and has been blown and blasted with water and people die there all the time being stupid and if you stay on the pathway near those stairs and on the grass right there against the hill you're going to be safe i I think it would take a very extreme bad weather scenario or extreme rogue wave to take you out and for the most part you guys are probably smart enough to recognize when that weather is going on and you're not going to be out there but if you you have so yeah Yeah. if you have a calm night and something like we had where we knew it was safe and we stayed far back we didn't do anything stupid didn't make any take any stupid risks this works out really well. Just don't lose your life being a, 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 a extra aggressive as getting your angle on the spouting horn. Your composition is what it's going to be. Don't be crazy about that. Just stay safe and get it shot. Don't worry about getting something brilliant because it might be the last brilliant thing you ever do. <laughs> now, how'd your shots turn out, Kirk? Um, it was a battle between a short shutter speed and a long shutter speed long enough to get enough light on the subject and short enough to get the spout, you know, to be not just this ethereal mist. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I kind of narrowed in at two seconds because that you gave you... You could go a, two seconds even. Well, I was using the Sony and I was hoping some of the uh, ISO invariants will uh, help me uh, pull some of the detail uh, yeah. out of it. But if I went longer, then the spout just disappeared into the, into the background and... Yeah. It, there wasn't any point in shooting like that. So I was going really, you know, tried one second and they were just looking too dark. And it was, it seemed like the spout lasted longer than a second. So you'd be cutting off part of the mist right, if like you I went too short of a shutter speed, unless you just have super good reaction uh, times, uh, which I apparently don't have. But uh, I just mashed down my shutter and high continuous and let six or eight go on yeah, during it. And that <laughs> might be a good trick to do. So but, I'm hoping to stack them if I have to, you know, and hope that works. Uh-huh. Mm. And one other thing that was kind of weird. So we, we had the lights on the on the chasm and the, the spout. <laughs> but off in the distance, there were like fishing boats out at sea. Mm. And there was <sighs> a That's cloud bank well. coming in a small at one. the same time that was, you know, eventually covered up the milky way and so there would be these uh, fishing boats lighting up the clouds from underneath and it kind of looked like some sort of weird nuclear armageddon scene going on here with (laughs) you know swirling waves and you know rocks and the milky way and then just this kind of nuclear blast off in the distance it was yeah like this light orange yellowish cloud Mm -hmm. yeah being backlit and and under underlit from from far away yeah it was pretty interesting but it made for a really cool, colorful shot. Yeah, it was it was kind of interesting. A lot of a lot of different color temperatures going on in the same yeah. picture. Yeah. Which so, uh, the color contrast was actually kind of cool. They're complementary from the blue in the sky, Milky Way, stuff like that, mm-hmm. and the blue water. Yeah. But in the middle, you got white and black, and then you got so you got really good contrast, contrast, and then you got good good color contrast going on in in one shot. It makes for a just a crazy, crazy shot, crazy place to be. 
Yeah, it's one of the more interesting uh, shots I think we've uh, I've been with you guys that we've set up yeah. so far. So unique. I don't think mm-hmm. I don't know if I have any idea if anyone's done it before. Yeah, not I've that I never checked seen beforehand. Like that. It's not highly recommended. Don't do it. Don't be stupid. Don't lose your life there. But if you can get through it alive, it's pr- it might be pretty awesome. Yeah, and we we were halfway between high tide and low tide, and uh, those ocean swells were not really high. They that were low day, that day. So um, don't do it on high swells. If it's an, getting towards an extreme uh, weather conditions, you know, just don't even go close to that location. Right, right. So if you're on a trip out there in the area and you have one night left, don't force it. Just make sure it works with you. Otherwise, you got lots of other options. And in that vein of other options, when we were waiting for the Milky Way to get in position, we had a lot of fun at a very safe location mm-hmm. just on the beach underneath Hasita Head Lighthouse. Yeah. You guys were doing some fun stuff before I got out there to you. Tell us what was going on and what the scene is like. Describe it. Well, it was super easy access. You just pull right into the parking lot for the headlight, headlight, and there's a um, for the lighthouse, and there's a uh, beach right off the, literally right off the parking lot. And you just walk right out, and those uh, the tide was on the low tide, ish. Yeah, high tide was around midnight, and I think we got there about one o'clock, and it was heading out. So yeah, so every every five minutes it seemed like the t- the, the splashes or the or the the waves were getting smaller and smaller. And we could walk out further and further. And so we took advantage of that. And the clouds were over our heads covering, you know, the whole sky. We'd see these pockets open yep. up, We'd take some shots, islands. get some Milky Way. Then some car trails would come by and the bridge would look awesome. Yeah, the and then bridge. Describe what the bridge is. The bridge was a really cool um, arching bridge. And uh, it had some really good stone, like, detail along the top. I guess it spans the gap as that cove comes yeah. in. There must be a river. Is there a river underneath there? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it cuts out the space at the span the gap there for the road highway to come by. Is that freeway? Is that the one or 101? 101. Yeah, that's Highway 101. Okay, so Highway 101 mm-hmm. spans that, and it just looks beautiful and ornate, and it's mm-hmm. high above the sky Oh yeah. between you and the Milky Way. I think that's the first subject we've ever had that was, interestingly enough, way up there in this floating position next to the Milky Way. Right, and there's this one singular street light oh, yeah. that's shining down and, and lighting up all the leaves behind it and below it. So you get this huge like flush of green and there's a really bright spotlight when you're, when you're aiming your camera at it, taking a shot and, uh, and exposing for the Milky Way. And so I was able to capture a really cool shot with a car driving by, lighting up the bridge with the taillights and headlights. And then you get the backlight of the green underneath it from the from the street light, and then you've got the Milky Way above it, and it was just yeah, it was crazy. And then you got the sweeping yeah. light of the lighthouse, the lighthouse lighting up the top of the trees and the other half of the hill, and it's just really unique, really interesting spot. And we just had a lot of fun doing big panos and just doing long exposures. And after a few minutes, the clouds completely went away, and we're like. Full Milky Way, and that's when they come running to the car because I'm in there working on a YouTube video, knowing that this is just a quick 20 minute stop off. Right? We're not going to hang out there very long, and I'm like, I'll just do some Milky Way shots because I've already shot the lighthouse, you know, just the lighthouse. But now they say the Milky Way's out, and so Kirk tells me it's getting really fantastic out there. You should come, and uh, oh yeah, I grabbed my camera and joined you, and was amazed as how much the clouds had just completely cleared out. Yeah, because. Like you said, not only did you get to shoot the uh, lighthouse, 
but you had the bridge directly underneath the Milky Way. So I started out with a pano going from the lighthouse all the way around to the bridge. And uh, then later on, I worked on uh, shooting the lighthouse. Originally, I was a little closer to it, straight out from the parking lot. And then I moved further away to try to not get the... Well, there's the Lighthouse Keeper House, which is now a bed and breakfast that you can stay at. And the hillside was cutting off the bottom edge of that house. So I tried to get further away to show more of the house. And uh, and one thing that I learned from last year when we went, I was using longer shutter speeds last year, and the beam of the lighthouse just totally disappears. Yeah. And it just sweeps all the way around, and you don't get any sense that there's a beam from the lighthouse at all when you do that. Mm-hmm. So this year, instead of going, you know, 20-second exposures, I was shooting more five-second exposures. And nice. that seemed to be just enough that you'd still get a big sweep, but it wouldn't overlap with the other beam from the lighthouse because I think that one has eight beams that come out of it. Yeah. And so. the rotation time was such that five seconds gave you a big beam, but it gave you a gap in between. So then you got this star pattern of the individual beams all yeah, coming out of the awesome. lighthouse. And then, like <laughs> Brendan said, you get the beam actually shining on the hillside across the the little inlet from the lighthouse. So all the trees up where the highway cuts across the hill, there's just this sweep of yellow light that cuts across the trees, and uh, it's, it's kind of a cool effect. That was a huge decision for me. That was something that spent the most time thinking and planning my shot out because, yeah, it has eight fingers of light that are going across and mm. if I decide to do a pano do I want it consistently showing this basic lit stripe in my frame all across the hill cutting the hill and mountainside to be dark trees well lit trees dark trees mm. well lit bridge well lit trees behind the bridge or did I want to try differently and I ended up coming down to like four seconds and I would wait, and I'd had a two-second timer going, and I'd wait till the light was on the bridge and hit it. Two seconds would count off, four seconds would expose, and before the next beam of light hit there, I was able to get a panel of all dark frames, no light beams hitting it. Oh. And so I was able to like intermittent shots of the area and panel all the way to the lighthouse, so none of the lights actually lit up my mountainside. It was all just what it was. The Milky Way core was right above Saturn, Milky Way core visible above the hills right there, mm-hmm. going high in the sky, and then I went to the right out to the open, cloudy, kind of visible ways, visible lights, and then that's when I let, as soon as I was off the hills, I let the lights be a feature, and I think I got a spike in the end that was just doubled in size. I let it go a little long so it would be thicker. Mm-hmm. And I that was the hardest part there too because I needed to get a pano of the lighthouse still, but I wanted it to be in a similar position each time. Yeah, that's going to be tricky. So yeah, I didn't. It's, it's hard to get the timing right. I, yeah. I was <laughs> picking as one of the beams would sweep past a tree between the lighthouse keeper house and the lighthouse. And then you'd hit and shutter? And every time <laughs> I would hit the shutter right at that point to try to get all the exposures with the beam in the same location. Kind of same shape, right? Yeah. You can get the whole scene, but the same shape of light 
Because when you're going through a pano and you're getting the whole scene, obviously that's seconds past. Right. You don't want to have one half of the pano <laughs> with the light in one angle and in the other half in another angle because that's just going to look awful. Either a solid blur of light or it's going to be 16 spikes that are all overlapping weirdly and some stronger than others. And I didn't do any timing at all. I just <laughs> shot and shot and shot and thought, you know what, if this works out, it'll be amazing. If it doesn't, it will. You're going for it. No, no, you will regret it the rest of your life. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Another thing I played with, since I had the A7 Mark III, I thought I'd try some of this high ISO Ooh, uh, yeah. video. So while Brendan and Claudia were out on the beach there, I like kicked it into video mode, turned the ISO up to, what was it, 512,000 yeah. ISO, <laughs> and uh, shot some video of them taking pictures. Because Brendan was doing shots where... He uh, would do part of the exposure on the tripod, and then he would lift the camera up in the air and kind of just randomly wiggle it around and try to get that street light to make different patterns in the image. And so I was getting video of him doing that in the dark. <laughs> Looking like an idiot. But the uh, <laughs> No one's shocked. And, no the, one and the Sony was, it was picking up stuff. The, the only catch is the shutter speed's a quarter of a second. So you get video at like four frames a second. You know, the audio's going. You see the <laughs> waves right. coming in behind him. They're, you know, the waves are rolling in onto the shoreline. And you can hear everyone talking just like normal audio. But, you know, if, if you're a fan of uh, Second City Television, there's a, a great <laughs> episode where the Soviets take over and uh, they have this new Soviet minicam that's, you know, like 1950s American technology TV cameras. And it's just the worst video ever. <laughs> and that's kind of what the Sony looks like when you're shooting at that kind of light level. And I never really picked a spot where... It was bright enough, you know, still in blue hour that I had enough light to get a better frame rate. But a couple of times, you know, out of Bandon, when we we're doing the Milky Way, I shot some at the same settings. And, and uh, I mean, you get video. It's, it's an interesting uh, look. Really grainy, but, you know, video in super dark conditions. So that was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that is really cool. I, I want to see those samples, and maybe we'll be able to post some samples in the mm -hmm. show notes. That'd be awesome. They look like one of those old school, like my father showed me of his old high school football videos. Right, where right. They're like stepped animation, but solid audio streams, where you turn on the slideshow with a reel-to-reel -reel projector that's jumping click, 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 different like comic book scenes, storyboarded, and the audio is fully dubbed over like huh, hey jimmy what are you doing today and it shows jimmy standing there looking at his mom and then it shows him in the next frame with his arm up in the air and now he's talking mom i went over here did this thing and then it shows her reaction oh boy you should have done this why are you you're grounded and then yeah, it shows him crying it does kind of look away. like a uh, it looks like a flip book kind of yeah but so it's know, annoying and great at the same time because yeah. it's in the dark you got to appreciate the fact that it did that in the dark yeah but when you don't remember that you think it's terrible you never want to use it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think we should have fun with that in a video where it, and it allows us to show brendan and i out there doing milk photography in the dark in our youtube videos without being just completely we get an intermittent highlight oh we've been yeah. out here for 20 minutes doing this now this is what we did and you kind of see the same frame every time selfie camera showing us lights seeing the tripod seeing our faces float in the black 
that gave right. us that would give us a whole other aspect of really interesting views of what we're doing. Yeah, sure, you, sure. You can see the stars. You can see waves out in the ocean. Ugh, I mean, cool. you see the surroundings. It's it's dark, but you can see it. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think we're gonna have to consider that. Maybe Kirk will have to come to Utah and do some filming for us. I'm all for that. <laughs> awesome. Talk my wife into it. So, is there anything else you guys have before we jump on the Crater Lake? So I want to say one thing before we go into Crater Lake. Do you guys have anything to add before I we go on? I think I'm good. Yeah. You guys are good. Okay, all of you people who don't live in Oregon, commiserate with me on the craziness of the Oregon gas situation, because <laughs> oh my lands, and I get it. They don't that you pump your own gas. I thought that was where the problem stopped. It's like, okay, fine, they pump for me. Mm-hmm. Wow, I did not consider something so major, so different. When we were leaving that night, it was 10-10. And the Oregon folk, the Oregon natives in the car, Cloudy and Kirk are like, well, we should probably get some gas before they close. We're like, well, what does it matter? Because we had like 80 miles left on the on the tank, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously that gives us plenty of time to go there and back, there and back, but... What if we used it up and now we need to get back to our campsite and then getting from the campsite to the next gas station because Yahats doesn't have a gas station. And so you think we got to go down to Florence to go to the gas, closest gas station, and that's at least 10, 15 miles. And so all of a sudden we're being taught that when the gas station closes or the last clerk attendant leaves, the pumps turn off. That's it. They don't let you pump gas after hours. Oh, no one's here. Fine, pump your own gas. Brenda and I have gotten gas after midnight, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., like probably 700 times. Right. It's a normal thing for us, right? It's (laughs) not a big deal. Don't even consider it. But if the gas pump station closes at 9 or 10 p.m., what what do you guys do? I don't know what they do here. You just just have to plan ahead. You have to fill up by, by 10 our, ga- our external gas tanks, like, you know, a big <laughs> deal to have two or three gas cans in the car because uh, if you're driving all night, what do you, you know? Right. What do you do, Kirk? You uh, buy gas on the way home from work and then you buy gas in the morning on the way to work. So you have to just have that mindset like, oh, where am I right now? Um, okay, I'll make sure I get some gas now and because it's yeah, not open. If you're in a small town, either there's no gas station or uh, you just buy gas when they're open. Man, and don't drive through the place thinking, all right, it's midnight, I should get some gas now because you needed to get gas hours ago. Right. At the last opportunity you had. So one thing never considered with the whole they pump for you, they need to go home. They have families and lives. If it's going to be this full-time job for four or five people, they have hours that just aren't like regular gas stations that you and I might be used to where we can show up at 2 a.m. with the one dude who's smoking out front and you arrive, he's like, all right, I'll get back to work. And then you go pump your own gas and grab yourself a uh, 700-ounce cola and bring it into your car and swim in that bath of cola the rest of your drive. No, you don't get that opportunity. You have to prepare. You have to be ready. And that was some base. <laughs> yeah, holy cow. Like, hope that guy is going to have a knife nice death night tonight that car went by and with huge bass and we're wondering about the person inside the vehicle hope he's got earplugs <laughs> so just wanted to comment on that before we left the thorswell area because we we're doing all this crazy driving and scouting and almost lost our opportunity we made it to fred meyer just in time and then we missed the first turn and the next turn was a mile and a half down the road it seemed like the parking lot was <laughs> this entire stretch of road and we finally made it back and then someone jumped over and said hey how can i help you we're like oh we're so glad you're still open He's like, yeah, we're open for another 12 minutes. Yeah, that was, yeah, was good timing. <laughs> so plan ahead. 
fill up your gas tank. It's not the kind of situation you might be used to where you get down to the last 20 miles and then you make a decision. You just can't do it unless you're only driving in the daytime. True. So let's go on to Crater Lake. Um, in short, driving from Band in the coastline of Crater Lake, it's an intense experience of three to four hour drive, right? I mean, you just plan yeah. on a long drive. It's not something that's next door, but a million times worth it. And the drive is easy. Only thing to worry about are deer. It's just beautiful. Nothing to think that I shouldn't drive that. The traffic's terrible. Never any traffic to drive out to Crater Lake. I mean, is there ever? Uh, not that much. I mean, you probably, when you go off the five, you've experienced traffic, but then once you get off of that, you're yeah, alone. It, you're just on country uh, highways and you're just going through a small town every so often, then it's wide open roads. Country roads, even. Yeah. That take, take you, you home. home. Right. Yeah. That song's been stuck in my head a lot lately. So, Crater Lake, Brendan, let's let you talk about the experience of Crater Lake because you've been there now twice with me. Yeah. Disappointing, right? Oh, man. So disappointing when you see that cobalt blue water in the lake there and uh <laughs> such a disappointment yeah. so the the first night uh was a scouting night um claudia was originally planning on coming with us the two nights at crater lake but then she was just really tired and it was late i was already at midnight i think when we left twelve thirty ish when we left her at our campsite so she's like i'm going to sleep i said that's a good plan you get some sleep we'll right. go out and get a couple shots do some scouting and then we'll go back tomorrow night and the uh, scouting trip, I think, turned out pretty good. Amazing. It was freezing cold but uh, and windy, which is the worst kind of cold. But apparently that's the best kind of Milky Way sky. But apparently oh the sky was fantastic and clear. And when you're up at that altitude, holy cow. I mean, I noticed the, the second night even more than the first night. The first night I noticed how clean the sky was and how brilliant the Milky Way was. And you could see the dust lanes with my own naked right. eyes like so much contrast i was like oh. this is incredible like what the heck i yeah <laughs> insane biggest surprise is seeing the dust lanes that clear yeah. you can tell they're there in utah and you have elevation points that are around this elevation but right. we kirk pointed out to me it's probably just the sheer just dry heat dusty air there's just a little difference in that that changes our vision on those low contrast points of the milky way dust lanes and also, since you're up in the elevation at Crater Lake, um, you probably have less turbulence in the air as it's, I mean, it goes up over the Cascades and then just dips back down. Like uh, in Hawaii, um, the observatory there on uh, Mauna Kea. Mauna Kea. Mauna Kea, I think. Yeah. Has uh, the best thing in the world. And, you know, the air just comes right up one side of the volcano and back down the other side and it's nice and smooth <laughs> and it doesn't get any turbulence as it flows over the mountain. And it's like, I mean, they're at 13,000 feet and I've gone and uh, looked through telescopes at 9,000 feet in Hawaii there. And the air is just crystal clear and low turbulence, you know, no twinkling, and I think Crater Lake kind of gets some of that effect as well. Yeah, I think I'm forgetting one element of the difference. Yes, you're standing at an elevation point that might be X meters, X feet from the sea level, but you're at this tip of a volcano, this this big giant caldera, and not on what is essentially in Utah, a big swell of ground. And so the ground... All the air movement is still around you. It's localized. It's mm -hmm. not something where you've gone to a high pink and peak and the air 
is swirling around down below you. There is no down below you. There's just all that ground. Yes, it's a high elevation from sea level in some areas in southern Utah, but the swell of all that ground forces the air all around you, at least around your eye level. And so when you're looking up, you get that disturbance. You get that turbulence and you get that dust. And you get, I guess that's all going to affect your clarity of seeing right. the dust lines with the naked eye. That yeah. makes so much sense. <sighs> So we are jealous. Anyone who's jealous of our Utah night skies, we get it because it's beautiful. You have weeks and weeks of clear skies. We love it. Mm -hmm. But you want to see a clear dust lane sky, a naked eye Milky Way, go to Crater Lake. It's unbelievable. And I think after midnight, the lodge turns off all of its lights except for like three. And, yeah. the, and they're really low lights. And even on the other side of the um, lodge, facing the direction, which you don't see from Crater Lake, um, they're all down facing lights that I noticed as well at the entrance awesome. and stuff. Way to and it's that. just amazing. I mean, you just, as soon as they turn their lights off in the uh, parking lot and stuff, it's just all that pollution just went away. And all you see is three little lights. They don't affect your image at all. And it's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So the naked eye experience is brilliant at Crater Lake. And so thus our photography experience is even better. What did you guys do composition wise to really take advantage of it? Obviously, panorama. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of forced into a panorama there because sometimes it seems kind of odd just to have a little chunk of the lake and then, uh, like, the Milky Way. And uh, so Wizard Island, we were uh, started out the night just straight to the west of Wizard Island at a viewpoint there, and uh, we worked our way clockwise around the lake to the next uh, couple of viewpoints. And uh, I always try to keep uh, Wizard Island uh, in the picture try to get the edge of it separated from the crater rim just so that the shapes don't merge into each other and uh, then the Milky Way was just right over the uh, south end of the crater and it looked amazing and Mars as well was coming up it was low in the sky you know like 10-15 degrees above the horizon and it just made this bright red reflection across the whole lake it seemed yeah it was so cool looking it like really, a monet painting of a sunset it yeah, stretched it around all amazing. the ripples if you guys have any anchoring decisions to make at crater lake it's wizard island because like he's talking about those shapes the way that the island goes underneath the water you have this little skirt of island ground that you want to keep hitting water in your frame and not seeing ground of the caldera edge and blending in to the crater lake um, or the wizard island shape and so you want to kind of get wizard island drape you know, the i said it was a curtain what did the i call shoreline. it the shoreline, shoreline yeah. all of that around the edge to be water and nothing else touching it and no weird tangents so that then you can kind of separate that from the rest of the rock and the black terrain and that is a challenge you know yeah, it's hard yeah, because when you're up north side or west side and you're facing the southern side to get the Milky Way in your shot, it's a challenge because the the Wizard Island is tucked in that corner of the lake. Mm -hmm. So to get that separation, you got to kind of walk around. You've got to do some, some working on it for sure. And then if you're going to be on the west side, you're going to have to do a pano just so you can get, you know, that the Milky Way and the separation that you're looking for in the island. But you'll end up having to do like a... Uh you know, 180 degree, 210 degree pano from where you're standing to get the whole lake into the frame. It's it's a big pano when you're doing that. And then if you're trying to get some more sky above it, it takes a little bit of time to collect all your exposures when you're doing, you know, eight by 
three panos or whatever it it takes a while right or or you focus in and do the uh the brady bunch pano uh <laughs> that was our new term the brady bunch pano where you got the nine panels like the brady bunch screen i actually did one of those yeah i actually did three three over <laughs> and three in the middle and three on top to see how it would turn out it'd be a kind of a big cool square image but you'd have cool a lot Lots of detail of and yeah it'd be awesome so the thing to consider, while the Milky Way is at this infinite distance from you, and it's not like you could change the angle of the Milky Way, if you were to stand still, look up at the Milky Way and face directly east, you'd see the Milky Way high point, and then you look to your right and face south, and at least at this northern latitude, i got to admit, this northern latitude is what you experience. Look to your right, you see the south, the core. And so your body can change the direction you're looking at the Milky Way by turning right and left. And the crater lake, it has its own shape. And so standing at, let's just pretend, 12 o'clock, a 12-hour clock around the crater lake, if you're at 12 and you're looking directly south, your pano of the Milky Way to get Crater Lake in view is really difficult because to get that left-to-right pano of Crater Lake, the Milky Way is going up in front of you and over your head. So now you've kind of got to go at 9 o'clock on Crater Lake so that you can get it in position where you're looking out over the Crater Lake, seeing the Crater Lake caldera, and also getting in the Milky Way early, early in the night in June where you can see the Milky Way going from right to left. So as we went further, further north on the rim, you start getting in a position where not only has the Milky Way moved more vertical, but now your panorama is looking off the lake to see the left side of the, pa- of the, cra- of the Milky Way and looking into the lake to see the core of the Milky Way. So it's kind of nice to be at that spot that I'm going to call 9 o'clock. But what was mm-hmm. that called? Do you know that viewpoint? Oh. Man, I, I forget the name of it. Uh, we'll have to but look it up. A while couple we're... of them are just pullouts. One of them has a uh, a uh, old gnarled tree stump uh, sticking out of it. It's just south of the uh, where the East Rim Road meets up with the West Rim Road and the North Park Entrance Road. So that was about as far uh, um, north that we got on the west side of the crater. But uh, everything was from just about 9 o'clock up to that point, which is like maybe the 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock point of the lake. Yeah, because the road was closed north of that, right? So yeah, we couldn't go around. And, and when you go over on that side of the lake, Wizard Island just becomes small, and it also merges into the uh, side of the crater, and it, then it becomes less obvious that it's in the lake. Yeah, that's the right. harsh thing. The best panorama position is also the worst Wizard Lake, Wizard Island position. Right. Right. And so I'm going to look it up right now, guys, the actual viewpoint name to see if we can name it. Because if you're thinking panorama in June and you're going to at Crater Lake, you're going to, this is kind of a best position to put the most of Crater Lake's caldera in front of you and touching the core and touching the Cassiopeia edge of the Milky Way. So that way you guys can consider where should I go for a pano? This is where you should go for a panel without making it difficult. Because where we were last year at that north edge by the lava flow rock that's really high, we ended up having to shoot a core that then kind of came over our shoulder high in the air. Yeah. So we were pulling up away from the caldera to see it and capture it. And it became more of a distorted became more difficult definitely to do far yeah. more warping to fix and issues yeah. with the panorama stitch. And then the island just blended right in. And so, yeah, it was definitely not as appealing as uh, the spot that we're looking at now. The, the thing that I noticed mostly on the second night was um, how big the Milky Way seemed. I knew it was really bright from the first night. The second night, the same clarity, oh, yeah. same cool air, and 
and the scene was great and uh man it just looking up it just looked like it looked like the mookie was magnified like it looks bigger than it was at home and i don't know if that has to do with the elevation or something to do with the air clarity but man it was big and bright and contrast was there again it was awesome it was just really really impressive it was a great night and uh, to bring claudia with us that night and to show her what we found the first night and to, to really just help her get some really great shots easy in and easy out it was a fantastic experience well the first location we went to was the watchman overlook which is just on the north side of the watchman tower uh, yeah and i've always thought it'd be cool to hike up to the watchman, watchman tower Overlake. which is uh several hundred feet up <laughs> from uh, the parking lot a so, mile or two up. and if you're you're already at like seven thousand foot elevation so you know if you're going to do that plan ahead bring water take your time that's take probably it easy. a mile or two hike right because yeah. they got those switchbacks and everything yeah so the first spot was the watchman overlook and that's the panorama spot guys you want to get there it's going to put the panorama nice because you look straight over crater lake and you see a like you basically cut the crater lake caldera in half and the left half has the milky way from the middle over to the cassiopeia part and the right half has the milky way over to the core so it works brilliantly for an easy balanced milky way panorama yeah and the the point where the uh, road split off where the north road and the east rim and the west rim drives a split that's called merriman point and we went out there on our first night. But I think the, the other two spots are just pullouts. The one with the, mm. uh, with the uh, gnarled tree, I think it's just a, a parking spot for people to stop and look. And I don't know if it actually has a name. Hmm. Yeah, the Merriam Point is where we were last year you're saying and then between that are those pullouts right right yeah so it's just have some fun and be creative with where you like to go and get a different foreground but in the end all of our foregrounds is this giant panorama of yeah. crater lake you yeah. just can't do anything but appreciate the caldera that it is it's so massive when you look at the size of the trees on wizard island and think that tree is two or three times bigger than me maybe even four or five times bigger than me and it looks tiny, and you're like, me. dude, I don't even know if I'd see a person from here. If I could even <laughs> recognize if it was a person standing there, would they even be visible? It's crazy how 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 little that island looks in the lake, but how big it is in real life. <laughs> it's a pretty <laughs> yeah. big structure. What in a fantastic place, Kirk. You've done it now seven times? Something like that over the last uh, 30 years, I think. <laughs> I was joking with him that we have to go there without him a couple times just to catch up. <laughs> well, we need to come back after uh, July 1st. Between July 1st and I think September 1st, um, they have boat rides that you can take down to Wizard Island, and they'll actually let you off the boat, and you can hike around Wizard Island. And can you stay at night? No. Well, then why would we go? <laughs> just kidding. It's, it's a... Totally different view of the lake from down yeah, on Wizard Island. Yeah, I would Island. love it. And you're right down next to, there's some real shallow spots between Wizard Island and the rim that's adjacent to it. And the water there just gets this really blue-green color. It's it's really neat looking, and you can just get right up to it. And I've seen people swimming in it, which... Sounds really rig frigid yeah, and cold. <laughs> I don't think I would personally do, but they seem to be enjoying it. Were they Finnish? I don't think so. <laughs> they, out of or their sound, not just that, but there's no there's no uh, streams that uh, flow into the river or in, uh, that flow into the lake, and there's nothing wa no water coming out, and so the it's bacteria and the bathtub. and the other uh, you know creatures living in the water have been there for probably 
hundreds, well, if not thousands of years. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not many creatures. There's like crawdads, and someone put uh, rainbow trout in there a hundred years ago, and you can go fish those out all you want, and you don't have to have a permit. You can catch all you want. You just ha- have to haul the fish and the guts up over the rim before you uh, throw the guts away. Okay, that's but, fair. Uh, that water is some of the cleanest water in the world, and it's all snowmelt. There's, like you said, like Brandon said, there's no rivers running into it, no creeks even. It's all just snow that's and rain that's fallen directly into the lake. <laughs> it's such so an amazing. amazing place. Yeah. I definitely want to do that, Kirk. When we were up at the sunset, I noticed one of those green little pools, and I was thinking, wow, that water yeah. right there is so colorful. Right, right. It's a little shallow just enough. Wow. I noticed that too, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's cool. So yeah, if you guys... You guys are making a bucket list, and you don't have Crater Lake on there, and you've been haven't ever been there before. Make sure you change that plan and fly into Portland, go to Crater Lake. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Milky Way, four nights in a row. We only had one night with clouds that were scary. It was, thought it would ruin it, but we True. found two great locations to capture Milky Way. You just got to pay attention to clearoutside.com and cleardarksky.com, guys, because we made some decisions based on that, finding you know not only the lo- closest weather station to our spot, but finding the one that was between us and the Milky Way core. It allowed us to see what was going to happen, where we'd be looking. And so if you looked at Waldport, north of Yahats, you're like, ah, totally cloudy, can't go there. We look at the one red something observatory down below it uh florence area you see that it's totally clear after this hour and Mm. so we ended up trusting that that was going to be correct and it turned out turned out great oh man guys we were so freaking lucky having that clear sky for four nights straight because right now if you drove out we're going to fly out tonight clouds are everywhere yeah yeah four nights in a row in june is uh, sometimes rare and especially when the coast is involved (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely. So we're uh-huh. leaving this so we're leaving this cloudy area to go back to Utah and I think we're going to have some spots where it's not cloudy. A little bit of clouds. Maybe a little south. bit of clouds. We'll see. We're going to go straight to the knolls from here and we'll uh continue we'll, the hashtag continue great the, Milky Way Chase. Continue the journey. <laughs> continue the journey. Did you say dream of the journey. The journey of the dream. It's a dream. It of, is a, it's a dream. dreaming journey. <laughs> journey of dreams. I don't know. Thanks, guys, for following us. We'd like to appreciate <laughs> all of you patrons out there who are a part of this group, and we just really, really appreciate everything that you're doing. I hope that you guys are getting your June Milky Way for the contest, and so we can see how, who's going to win those two Royce eBooks. Kirk, thanks for letting us use your house. Thanks for letting us have you drive the entire time so I can have my <laughs> face in my laptop the whole time. Oh, yeah. It was great going with you guys. It's always fun to have you. Yeah, Thanks thank for being you. a part of Photog Adventures and the rest of you guys in the Facebook admin group. If you guys want to quit your jobs and join us and be like number six Photog Adventure, we'd be totally glad to have you. And for very little pay. Oh, right. We paid Kirk in uh, recycled cans. He's yeah, getting... I got to keep all the pop cans that we, uh, <laughs> that we saved. Those are Ooh. 10 cents a piece, Kurt. Yeah, it adds up quick. There's another one. <laughs> I, dro- I drop a dollar on the floor. It'll make more money than he is off of those cans. But <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for following. We'll be back for episode 85. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Get out there for the Milky Way. See you guys. Have a good week. Bye. See ya. All right. So we're going to talk about the... on this, uh, Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, make sure you bring us yeah. back into the podcast. Hey, welcome to the Photog Adventure Podcast. Pop up that. <laughs> Take three. Take three. Hey guys, welcome back to the Photog Adventure Podcast. Uh, on this section.